0: com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more right now you can save twenty dollars on the steel ms-162 or ms-170 chainsaw real steel Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
1: Hello, all you State of the Union listeners. This is Alexi Lawless. Before we start the show, I wanted to tell you about our brand new Fox Sports app and website, foxsports.com. Reimagined for the modern sports fan. Go ahead, download the new app and do it now. You don't even have to pause this episode. Every day on the new app and the website, you'll see the top stories in sports, plus a rich world of written content, videos, social media, and analytics to give you a 360-degree view of the most important stories of the day. Streaming live TV has never been so easy or elegant. Every Fox Sports game, including all pregame and postgame shows, are just one click away. Plus, our exclusive bonus camera innovation allows you to see different perspectives on the action in real time, and to change audio feeds, all while watching the game telecast. For the extra invested fan, we also go deep with real-time wagering lines, trending prop bets, win probability, and key player projections. So, download the new Fox Sports app or visit www.foxsports.com. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking once again about MLS is back, the tournament going on down in Orlando and continuing to go on, uh, and all the things that are happening on and off the field. With that, we'll talk La Liga. We'll talk Ballon d'Or. We'll talk El Trafico, not just the game, but the name. Uh, we'll talk NWSL shoe deals, and so much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this? Let's see here. July 20th in the year 2020. We're recording this on a Monday.
2: I am doing well. Um, good to finally be taping this podcast. Our producer Alex Dowd very late this morning, so uh, it set everything back. But uh, I'm a little bit tired after uh, working a, an MLS's back doubleheader last night. Yeah, we we worked the doubleheader last night, and then I attempted, and I've
1: been pretty good during the MLS's back tournament of getting up for these morning 9 a.m. games, East Coast 6 a.m. here, so the 5:55 wake up call because because I want to watch it. And this was the first time that I got up and I fell right back to sleep. I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you about this maybe in a future episode, but I'm just going to give you a teaser here. I fell back to sleep and I had a dream about Arlo White. That's just a teaser. All right. I got to save something for, for later. But speaking of uh, of watching things, Mossy, uh, as we always do, uh, anything new this week from your, uh, your library out there?
2: Well, I've gotten back on the podcast tip. Um... They released a couple of bonus episodes of Wind of Change, which is a podcast you and I discussed a few weeks ago. So I listened to those bonus episodes. They were quite good. Also, I finally started uh, Murder on the Towpath, which is a podcast I mentioned a couple weeks ago. It's done by Soledad O'Brien. It investigates the murder of a woman named Mary Pinchot Meyer uh, in 1964. She was the uh, ex-wife of a CIA agent and was also having an affair with John F. Kennedy. So her murder has been connected to his assassination. And I I told you, I decided to take the Alexi Lalas approach on this one because Soledad O'Brien dropped one episode per week for several weeks. So I waited for it to be done. And now I've been binging all of them and it is much better that way. Thank you. Thank you, my friend.
1: You're going. You're going to enjoy it, a while. and you're not beholden to, to the man, uh, or in this case, to out O'Brien when it comes to her dropping podcasts. They are out there, and you can binge it as fast or as slow at your own pace. I, I like that. So, I think uh, in, in the last couple of weeks, I've told you about how we are often scraping the bottom of the barrel. You were talking podcasts, but uh, certainly if uh, if we're talking. Netflix and stuff to watch. My bottom of the barrel is that I I watched a movie and uh, Nicolas Cage, one of the great uh, actors out there, wonderful uh, American actor, uh, but has I think he had some some money problems. And so there's this period of, <laughs> of Nick Cage movies, a decade probably, where he just did anything and everything. And as long as they paid him those money, he did it. So I watched this movie about the USS uh, Indianapolis called Men of Courage, and it, it was not good. And it was, it was a pity because number one, it had Nicolas Cage in it. And number two, it's an incredible story. And for those that, that don't know, the Indianapolis was an American ship that secretly transported the bomb that ultimately uh, was dropped uh, that ultimately ended the war in Nagasaki and and Hiroshima and on its return it was not being secured because this was a secret mission it was hit by a uh, a, a Japanese sub torpedo uh, and went down and a lot of men died not only in the uh, in the actual torpedo but a lot of men died over the next three or four days in the water And the sharks. If anybody has ever seen Jaws, there's a famous scene where they are talking about this. So I was excited because of this incredible story, and it just it just doesn't live up. It's it's so it's so bad. And yet I watched the entire thing, and I didn't turn it off because, as I said, we are we are scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to to watch. I did look it up. It had a budget of 40 million, and it made 2.1 million dollars. And even my little Rutgers brain can figure out that that is not good business. So that's what I watched. I don't recommend it, except you know it's two hours and uh, it'll it'll get you there and back, but you're not going to be any better.
2: Uh, for it. Have you watched anything, Mossy? Uh, no, I have not started on Deadwood yet. Um, and You I've keep, even t- you keep
1: saying you're going to watch this thing. When is when is this happening? I'm probably going to have to wait
2: until after the MLS is back tournament. Uh, and I've even fallen behind uh, Perry Mason and the uh, Golden State Killer documentaries because of uh, working last night when, when they aired. So I wasn't able to watch the latest episodes. I'll probably watch them tonight.
1: All right. Well, uh, continued uh, good watching. And if you are able out there to find some stuff, some hidden stuff that we have not been able to uncover, please send it, uh, send it through. All right, Mossy, you ready to light this candle? Yep. All right. As you know, we're just jumping right into it uh, in these uh, interesting times that we're living in on the state of the union podcast here. So let's start it off here, Mossy, and let's talk MLS is back. The tournament rolls on. We are recording this, as I said, on a Monday. On Thursday, the last of the group stage will happen. And then this weekend, the round of 16, if we are looking at this uh, in terms of a tournament. And I'll tell you what, I I think I gave it a B when it first came online. It it has slowly crept up uh, in terms of the performance on the field, in terms of the production off the field. I I I think we're creeping into the B plus maybe a minus type of zone but still 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 a ways to go there have been goals there have been few and far between when it comes to duds of games At any tournament you're going to have some you're going to have some duds and I think that we have we have discovered a lot of things about players about teams about this league as we go through it and I don't know about you but I was cautiously optimistic but I have been uh, pleasantly surprised by the way that it has affected me uh, and others, it's been very, very good. Would you agree
2: or do you or do you have some caveats to this? I absolutely agree. It's been so successful in fact, that the whispers are growing that perhaps we should try to do this every year. And it's no longer just random mm. Yahoo's on Twitter saying it. Uh, the great Matt Doyle has lent his imprimatur to this idea. Now Matt is proposing staging this tournament before the season starts. Others have suggested it as a mid-season uh, thing. Um, I don't know, what do you make of that? I mean, are people just getting carried away by the moment here, 10 days of exciting soccer and, and, and getting that whiff of that tournament atmosphere that yeah. we know Americans love? I mean, does it really make sense to try to do this every year?
1: Yeah, I, I worry about it being too much of a good thing or I worry about it being, being seen differently because of the interesting and challenging times that we live in. And this this ish type of scenario that we have here, that if you try to replicate it on a, on a yearly basis, it will lose some of, its, some of its luster. In the same way that when people say, well, we should have a World Cup every summer. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want to, to do that. However, out of necessity, because as we said before, once this tournament is over, everybody is going back in market. And right now, the plan is to finish off the regular season and go into MLS Cup and MLS playoffs in market. What that looks like, nobody has any idea. Whether that even is possible, nobody has any idea. And so what I'm thinking is, it's not about doing this on a a yearly basis. I'm not not worried, but I'm thinking about the possibility of, if you can't do the in-market thing, do we just find ourselves in a few months right back in another bubble somewhere doing another type of tournament because that's making the best out of what we all understand is a bad situation? And is... Is that what this turns into for the next year, say, where we're just uh, where we're just doing uh, doing bubbles as opposed to being able? Look, I, I fingers crossed that when everybody gets back into market, we can continue in an in market type of thing. And what we're seeing right now is, right now, NHL has a bubble bubble scenarios in terms of their return. They albeit I'll, I'll two of them, one East and co- East Coast and West Coast in Canada. We know the NBA bubble is also in Orlando. We know the NWSL bubble is in Utah. When we're talking about uh major league baseball that 's that 's in market, and then when we 're talking about football, I think that 's definitely going to be in market but if the in market thing can't can 't happen, then we already have a test case and a best case scenario to kind of replicate going forward that That might be something that uh, that happens. Do you see that happening
2: mossy perhaps yeah i mean it, we'll have to wait and see i mean everything they 're saying is they they think they are going to be able to resume a normal season. Uh, at some point this year, so fingers crossed. Now, although I am very much enjoying this tournament, I do want to play devil's advocate. Um, MLS is a league in which uh, a lot more money is spent on offense than defense. Uh, Most of the DPs play from the midfield up. There are hardly any defender DPs. So in terms of quality and pedigree, has created something of an imbalance between attacking players and defensive players. And although we all love goals, we all love high-scoring games – Uh, You want the excitement to be earned. And some of these 3-3, 4-3 games, when some of the goals come about due to horrible defensive blunders, there are those that argue that that's not something that should be celebrated, that doesn't paint MLS in the best light. Do you have any sympathy for that argument, or are those people just being curmudgeons?
1: They are just being curmudgeons. I have no sympathy for that uh, argument. I understand the human element of wanting to do that. And you know we're going to talk here in a little bit about the reticence that people have to just sit back and enjoy things as opposed to dissect them. And in doing so completely ruin things uh, oftentimes that, that there are goals being scored should be celebrated. And I, look, this, this is coming from a defender. I can certainly appreciate great defenders and great defensive efforts, but they are not sexy. They are not anything that I want to watch on a continual basis, and they are not anything that the, the population out there and the majority wants to see on a continual basis. I, I, the, it, it boggles my mind that we, that we throw back these wonderful fish that we are catching in the form of goals. It is, it is good. Every single goal that is ever scored is because at some point somebody makes a mistake or there are collective mistakes. Some are bigger than others, but no goal is scored without a mistake being made. You can say you should have been closer to that guy. Even the a bomb from 30 or 40 yards. Well, why weren't you closing that guy down? So there, there was always going to be a mistake. Is MLS defending any better or worse than any other league over there? No, I don't think so. I, I I really don't. To, to your point, yes, uh, MLS teams have to decide where to spend their money. And if you're selling tickets and you're trying to create a team that people want to watch, you hedge your bets by spending that money on what is arguably the most difficult part of the game. Not arguably, it is the most difficult part of the game. Those that can put the ball in the back of the net. So I, I understand where you're coming from. I just think a lot of people hang their hat on that in an effort to justify their stance that MLS is, is worse than other leagues.
2: And to be clear, there have been some great goals. Uh, my personal favorite, and I think it's one that you loved as well, is one that Toronto scored against Montreal, in which yep. Piatti played it to Pozuelo, who slipped this perfectly weighted ball to Akinola. It was just such a lovely team move. I also loved LAFC's fourth goal, in which Cien Fuentes played this perfect through ball to Brian Rodriguez, who squared it across to Rossi. Uh, so we have seen, and obviously Zella Ryan's free kick against Cincinnati and Columbus is a team that's really impressed me uh, from the midfield up the pieces fit so well. Artur and Nagby playing behind Zella Ryan and you've got Zardes up top. So Columbus is a team that's really caught my eye, Toronto as well. And then obviously the likes of Portland and LAFC. So there has been some incredible soccer played as well.
1: Okay. So, you know, last night on the uh, on the show, we were talking about how to judge these teams. So So, so for example, you mentioned Columbus, which I think everybody agrees that they have been the cream of the crop. But they've been the cream of the crop, once again, in Brigadoon, in this, in this bubble scenario. And so the, you know, the, the conversation right now is, how should we be judging these players and these teams? And you know, last night on, on the broadcast, I said, this is how I am judging them, in terms of giving the benefit of the doubt or saying you are a good or a bad team, if, if you want to get that black and white. If you have a bad regular season, okay, and then you come to Orlando and you are bad in Orlando, you do not get the benefit of the doubt, okay? Obviously. If you have a bad regular season and then you are good in Orlando, you also do not get the benefit of the doubt of being a good team. For example, Orlando. (laughs) If you are good in the regular season and then you are bad in Orlando, for example, if, if Atlanta bombs out of the Orlando tournament, you do get the benefit of the doubt because you have a track record and you have showed that you are a good team outside of the bubble in that norm. If you are good in the regular season and then you are good in Orlando, not only do you get the benefit of the doubt, not only are you a good team, you are a great team because you were able to collectively and individually adjust to unprecedented times, unprecedented circumstances and situations. And that, my friend, that is the mark of greatness. And so that's how I am looking at all of these teams. It's a little bit different when it comes to players because there are a lot of players right now that are using this opportunity to state their case. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Toronto and and up there with Ayo Akinola, Chris Mueller in, in Orlando, Jeremy Abobasi in, in, uh, in Portland. These players that are using this tournament to announce themselves and to improve their value. Then you have other tested players that are just confirming what we've known all along, is that they're great players. Wanda Lowsky's, Diego Rossi's, Jordan Morris, Jesse Zardes. And then you have some new players, and you mentioned someone like Lucas Zellerian, who's come on big and everybody kind of opens their eyes. Pulido in, in, at SKC, who certainly we knew, but not in an MLS situation, because they, we're watching teams and we're watching players that in the bubble, we are forced to watch, not in a bad way, but we are forced to watch. And this is, you know, this is really the shop window of MLS for a lot of players and some are using it, but you, you have to, you have, at times you do have to take it with a grain of salt and you do have to take a step back and say, okay, you're doing it here. That's wonderful. But then once that bubble bursts and everybody goes back home, and as I said, starting this week, 400 players and staff are going to leave the bubble and go back home as eight teams are eliminated from the tournament, then whatever that new normal is outside the bubble, can you do it there? doesn't mean we don't celebrate it here, but you just have to be cautious in terms of the assessment.
2: Well, one team in serious danger of making an early exit is the LA Galaxy. And I know we're going to talk about El Trafico more in the Ask Alexi segment, but I do want to touch on it here. What do you make of this team's problems right now and how serious are they? And uh, what do you make of how the Galaxy have performed in this tournament so far?
1: I think that they are confirming that they are a mediocre at best team. Uh, I think they're confirming that they need Dos Santos uh, to, to rule and boss that midfield more than people even knew. They are confirming that they're decision to sign Chicharito was not, was not wrong except coming on the heels of Zlatan, who took so much pressure off of everyone and welcomed that pressure. It's, it's an unfair comparison, but sorry, you're coming after Zlatan and you are not anywhere close to Zlatan. And the problem is, is that you can, you can not be Zlatan, but you have to have a Zlatan effect. And I think it's a stretch to say, even, you know, even with the goal that he scored in the previous game and now he's out injured, that he is going to have that type of effect. I think the other part is that the Los Angeles Galaxy, and I, I've said this for many, many years, was established as a super club, a club that as many people hate as love, a club that signs big-name players, that signs stars, and a club that is constantly challenging, OK, there's no excuse when it comes to money. They have and continue to spend more than anyone. It's no excuse when it comes to location. Everybody in the world wants to come to Los Angeles. It's no excuse when it comes to culture and history being one, if not the club when it comes to Major League Soccer with a, with a global brand. And so you have a responsibility to live up to that. And I know some people will say, yes, but Alexi, you know, when, when you were ahead of uh, LA Galaxy, they sucked. Yeah. And I got fired for it. OK, so that is the type of situation that you are dealing with uh, with the Galaxy. I think that this team looks rudderless on the field. And so Guillermo Barros Schelotto. I know we are living in, in strange and interesting times, and it's almost unfair to judge somebody because of what's happening right now. But you are the coach of the L.A. Galaxy, and this is this is not good enough. And the problem is, is that when I watch this team, I, I, I don't know what they are trying to do. And that's, I think, where the real problem is. And that problem doesn't go away when you return to market.
2: It just seems to me this league is moving in a direction of younger Latin American players. And LAFC have fully bought into that. And the Galaxy haven't quite yet. Now, Pavon is a start, but that's one. Well, with LAFC, it seems like every other player they have is some highly touted 22-year-old Colombian, Uruguayan, Ecuadorian guy who played in the under-20 World Cup. You know, they're bringing guys off the bench like Cifuentes and Janela. You've got obviously those two up top and Rodriguez and Rossi. You've got a twist in the midfield, Segura at the back. They've really embraced going that direction. Well, the Galaxy are still kind of stuck in this old MLS mentality of well, we need to improve the defense. So let's go get Emiliano Insua, some 30-something-year-old proven world-class player with Liverpool on his resume. And that just seems like old-school MLS thinking to me, well, LAFC have embraced MLS 2.0, which is building your team around these young, exciting, up-and-coming Latin American players. And and it should be noted that they are doing it
1: also while being sexy, LAFC, okay? And I'm, and I'm not just talking about the brand that has resonated here in Los Angeles and the stadium and, and ownership and all that kind of stuff. But Carlos Vela is a sexy player, all right? I want to watch Carlos Vela play. And he is the best player in Major League Soccer. And they're doing it in Orlando without him. So I think you can marry those two mindsets and, and that identity that the LA Galaxy has has stood on for so long, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the other day uh, in El Trafico, I think LAFC started one player that was American and developed in the United States. Now, as I've said before, it's not Major League Soccer or any of the Major League Soccer's team, res- team's responsibility to provide opportunity for American players uh, and for domestic talent, all right? You do what is good for your team. You do what is good for your customer. And if that means you play with all international players, then then have at it. Bob Bradley under, understands, uh, un- understands that. And it's not that he wouldn't play if, uh, if he found a player that fit into his system and that was able to do it. So yeah, I mean, and I think what you're doing is you're pointing out the, I guess the scouting abilities and network of the Los Angeles Galaxy and the ability to identify quality talent out there is lacking. And that's not, you know, that, I, I guess that is taking a shot at the Galaxy, but it's, it, it's on display right now. The players that you have signed have not lived up to the 2020 version of what Major League Soccer is. And for the Los Angeles Galaxy, maybe more than, more than anyone else, that is an indictment. That is a problem. Because that is not what the Los Angeles Galaxy has been, is, or even, dare I say, is, should be going forward. I don't want them to abandon that identity that has made them the super club of, the, uh, of, of, America, of American soccer. But you do have to evolve. You do have to change. And right now, Chris Klein uh, and Guillermo Barrosquiloto uh, and all of the hierarchy there, I'm sure that they're having a lot of calls and a lot of meetings right now to figure out if there is something that they can do. First and foremost, they got to figure out the defense. Okay. And I think if they do that, they will create opportunities. There was a time the other day, uh, other night in, in El Trafico, where if not for the offside, they would have been up three to two. So there are some things there that you can build on, but you're leaking goals and you're, and you're leaking goals to your biggest rival. And that's the biggest problem for the Los Angeles galaxy is that this is happening in the context of, the neighbors of LAFC. If the Galaxy was just the only team in Los Angeles, it would be a little different. It would be a little bit more muted, but you can't run away from it right now because not only do you have competition, but that competition is now the cream of the crop when it comes to, uh, to Major League Soccer.
2: Yeah, and, and clinging to the head-to-head results in the face of LAFC's clear superiority overall as a club always wreaked Uh, Of desperation to me. And now they don't even have that to hang their hat on because LAFC have won the last two meetings, scoring 11 goals combined in those two games. So, you know, for a while there, the galaxy still clung to this notion. Well, you still haven't beat us head to head, so you still can't be the Kings of LA. But uh, now I don't think there's any question that those two clubs are miles apart. MLS, by the way, also making some expansion news the last few days. Uh, You saw they revised the timeline. Uh, Austin FC is still going to join the league next year, but Charlotte, St. Louis, and Sacramento all have been pushed back a year due to the disruption in business operations caused by the pandemic. Uh, What did you make of that news?
1: I think it's a smart thing to do. Uh, I think that you need as much time as possible to make the best first impression. And I know at times we're seeing soft launches happen when it comes to major league soccer but i think you know given the unprecedented times and the challenges that they have thrown to different teams and and different teams have dealt with it differently like you mentioned austin i think is so far along and is is positive about their ability to to start next year as opposed to others where if you're going to be given another year to get your ducks in a row, to figure it out if you have stadium considerations, all of those different things. It it, it just makes sense. I don't think anybody looked at this and said, Oh, I can't believe that they're doing it. I think everybody understood, and it was blatantly written in the release, that this was in response to what is going on in the world. And I don't think anybody I don't think anybody takes issue, uh Issue with that, but you know there uh, there will continue to be uh, talk about what these teams are going to look like when they do come uh, come online, including naming. We got Charlotte and St. Louis that uh, at some point are going to come up with names, right, Mossy?
2: Yeah, and again, this whole FC uh, (laughs) issue, which I, I know we bring up from time to time, but it is amazing that Charlotte they release a list of possible names they're considering. And there are different variations, but every single one has FC at the end of it. It's like that's become, you know, uh, pro forma. Like that's, ha- that's how you have to name a soccer team. And it's just so weird because, you know, when English folk start pestering you about the whole soccer versus football thing, Americans are, are very bullish about standing by the, the, the idea that, that hey, we're allowed to call it what we want. It's soccer. But you do kind of undermine that when like half the teams in the league have FC Uh, at the end of their name. So, you know, you are sort of buying into the notion that that is the quote-unquote correct, uh, authentic term to use. I know know the whole FC thing bothers you to no end. It bothers me.
1: Uh, It bothers me, but (laughs) I'm not going to die on that hill, okay? I mean, if (laughs) if that's what the people want, and, and I do understand it from a business perspective, just so people know. So Charlotte is in the midst of announcing their name, and every few days they are cutting down their list. So as of today, which once again, Monday, July 20th, uh, and I think the name will be announced later on this week. They are left with everything's FC. So FC is part of the deal. It's non-negotiable, uh, as you said, Mossy. And you know, I can scream and yell about that all I want, but it's not going to change the fact. So the final five right now, as of this Monday morning, we are recording is Carolina Gliders FC, Charlotte Athletic FC, Charlotte Crown FC, Charlotte FC. And Charlottetown FC. If I have to pick, I'm going with Charlottetown FC. Now, this is town, not with an E at the end. This is just Charlottetown. And this is historical. Charlotte, that was what Charlotte was called when it first came online, when it was first established many, many years ago, at Charlottetown. So there's a historical reference to it. Charlotte FC is nothing. And let's be honest, we're going to call them Charlotte anyway. It's just going to be Charlotte. We're playing Charlotte next week. Uh, did you see the Charlotte game? blah, blah. blah you know, when it comes to, Charlotte Crown, I know it's historical, but it's just Charlotte Athletic. I don't like Athletic. And Charlotte Gliders, I'm sure there's a story behind it. I just haven't looked it up. I'm just, you know, not. Charlottetown is interesting enough, and there's a lot of different wordplay that you can have with it. I do like the historic part of it, but they're gonna they're gonna cut cut down and then ultimately announce it, as are St. Louis. St. Louis is gonna have a name too. We we love we love our naming, we love our rebranding, we love all that kind of stuff when it comes to American soccer.
2: Uh and then the NWSL, I know you wanted to mention they've reached uh the semifinals of the their tournament, the Challenge Cup.
1: Yeah, uh so we have uh, our semifinals with the Portland Thorns versus the Houston Dash. All of this will happen on Wednesday. Sky Blue versus Chicago Red Star in the uh in the semifinals. What's interesting about this is and we see different trends come out of these tournaments and these bubbles now. Uh we even saw it with return of the Bundesliga, where the the, uh, the home field advantage kind of kind of went away, so all these these strange things that are uh, that are surfacing. So all of the highest seeds did not go through and have not made it through, and these are all lower seeds that are uh, that are uh, that are playing. But I think, in general. The Challenge Cup uh, from NWSL has been a success. They came online. They had all the hoopla uh, and, you know, all the attention regarding the, the national anthem, which they decided to play. And, you know, all, all of that uh, controversy, they got through that. Um, they came online with CBS, by the way, and they continue with CBS. I think in general, it, it should be considered a Resounding success. The interesting thing about this tournament is that once it's done, that's it. There is no return to market and continuation of the season. So, this is all you are going to get, at least for 2020, when it comes to the NWSL. And I think the tournament has been a success. Uh, and congratulations to everyone that worked so hard to organize it all the players on the field that played in it, but all the, the staff off the field that, that organized it. And somebody asked me a question earlier today on Twitter about what. Others can learn and there will be protocols and there will be best practices that emerge from what MLS has done and what, uh, and what NWSL has done that other leagues coming online, I think, can learn from and, and will hopefully be tapping into as they come online in whatever form. Even, even in-market stuff can learn from the bubbles that were created and both the good and the bad uh, that happened, but in but in general, for both MLS and for NWSL, uh, these bubbles thankfully have have been healthy and successful. Anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, we will be talking some La Liga, some EPL, and some other things. When we come back after this break. So moving on.
3: Hey, folks. It's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List Okay, we're back, and we're going
1: to talk some uh, European soccer out there. I'm going to start off with uh, La Liga. Now, Mossy, is it true, because I've been told this, and I don't remember it, but is it true that when we came back online and when uh, the European league started to come back online, there was a point where you mentioned that you didn't see either Real Madrid or Barcelona dominating their restarts? Uh, And I say that because... Not only has Real Madrid dominated, but it's it's not even a question. And it's and it's, and it's it's over. Congratulations to Real Madrid for yet another La Liga title.
2: Yeah, very early after the restart, uh, Real Madrid jumped out ahead. And, and there was a lot of talk about the fact that now they, they had destiny in their own hands. And if they ran the table, they were going to be champions. And I came on here and said, both these teams are flawed. And I don't see anybody running the table. They're going to both drop plenty of points. And Real Madrid promptly ripped off 10 straight victories to clinch the title before drawing their last game, which was insignificant. So uh, yes, so we need to change my moniker from soccer savant to uh, <laughs> something different, because I, my, my savant... Listen,
1: so uh, you know uh, that the people out there, they only remember the stuff you get wrong, okay? They never remember <laughs> all of the other overwhelming majority of stuff that you get right. But I do, my friend. You are still a savant in my... Uh, in my eyes, now when we look at this, two things. Um, anytime we talk about La Liga, we obviously talk about Real Madrid and we talk about Barcelona. Two different conversations. Well, let's start with the Real Madrid conversation. Okay? Does Zinedine Zidane? Because we've had this this debate over the years about the ability for great players to translate to great managers, coaches, because of the difficulty and the challenge of great players being able to explain what they did or what they want and the history is littered with great players who did not make great managers. Are we at this point taking Zinedine Zidane for granted? And should he be, should he be much more in the Sir Alex mode even at this point than uh, than the credit we do give him?
2: Well, what I think we can say is we might be looking at the most successful player coach combination among the all time greats. Now, Pep was a great player, but not Zidane level great. I'm talking if you take the 10 or 15 most transcendent players in history. And it's really between him and Cruyff, as far as the only guys that have then gone on and had transcendent coaching careers as well. And Cruyff was always the guy that was held up as the greatest sort of player coach combo. And Zidane I think is reaching that level where you can really have a debate now between him and Cruyff and argue that he's in the process of surpassing Cruyff. And and yeah, I think the story here is Zidane. And you know, it's interesting over the last decade, Real Madrid's European success has been disproportionate to their domestic success. And that's given rise to this notion that they prioritize the Champions League more, they care more about the Champions League. Zidane has never been on that page. He completely rejects that notion. From the moment he returned to the bench, he made it clear his priority this season was winning La Liga. And it's worth noting, Zidane has managed three full seasons at Real Madrid. He's caught parts of other seasons, but he's had three seasons in which he was the coach from beginning to end. And they've won La Liga in two of those three campaigns. So we tend to look at Zidane's coaching career so far as being one of a guy that has a unique knack of winning the Champions League, but he's also done very well domestically with, with two La Liga titles. So he he really has been the total package. He did a phenomenal job this season. Uh, Real Madrid, they spent a lot of money that summer, but last summer, but the, the big signings, uh, we're not really a factor. Uh, Hazard has only one goal this season, which is remarkable. Militon hasn't contributed all that much. Jovic has been a disaster. Rodrigo had some moments, but he's only 18. Really, the only signing that, that was really a big factor is Mendy, the left back. Plus, he lost Asensio to injury. He's got kind of an odd squad to manage because they don't have proper backups for certain positions in the midfield and at the back, but they've got like 20 wide attacking players that he's got to figure out how to manage. And he rotates a lot. He tries to keep everybody in the mix. Uh, It's not easy. And sometimes you wonder if his rotation policies, but if, is there really a method to the madness here? You can't understand from game to game, why players are starting and others are dropping out of the squad entirely, but I don't know It it somehow it all came together nicely and, and he kept everybody reasonably happy. And, and in the end they win La Liga. So yeah, I think, uh, the story is him, no doubt. I mean, a, a lot of credit goes to him. I mean, this is a tremendous achievement on his part.
1: And one thing that it, that deserves mention is that he did it without Cristiano Ronaldo. And I and I think that's important in the context of Barcelona because we've had this discussion before, where uh, people have said the over reliance of Barcelona on Messi, and then people will argue. Well, every big team in the world it relies on their big stars to come through, and yes, yes, that is true. But when it when it comes to you know something like like Barcelona taking Messi out of Barcelona as opposed to taking uh, Cristiano out of uh, Real Madrid, they haven't they haven't missed a beat, and they are not they are doing it right now. And I say they Real Madrid under Zidane they are doing it right now. And don't get me wrong, it's not like they're they're poor, right? <laughs> they spend plenty of money. But they, they, have, they have done this without that focal point that Barcelona seems to rely so much on when it comes to Messi. And I think that in and of itself shows that Zinedine Zidane uh, is able to adjust. Uh, I think he understands perfectly, maybe in particular, how an elite super club like that needs to function, and more, more importantly, how a personality being the manager needs to function, dealing with all the egos, dealing with all the different types of players. And he's been able to do it in different types of settings. As I said, at one point with a focal point of a player, and now where the team is really the star. I'm not saying that they're not stars on Real Madrid.
2: Yeah. And and the flip side to all that is Barcelona, who now you're hearing that Setien might not even be on the bench for their Champions League match against Napoli. They're so disillusioned that they might get rid of him before that, which seems hard to believe for me. I think you at least let the guy finish out the season and then you you go get a new manager. It'd be very strange to make, make a change at this point. But yeah. And then, you know, the focus turns to Messi, who... Uh, we actually, uh, there was a Twitter question a few days ago. We got asked from some guy, I think his name is Derek Vasquez asking about the possibility of Messi going to Manchester city. And I didn't answer it on Twitter because I thought for sure, Alex Dowd was going to put it in the rundown. And uh, I, in fact, I didn't even forward it to Alex because I thought it was such a given that he would spot that. And it, it showed, you think, you know, Alex Dowd, but you know, he's always, he's always keeping... never
1: assume with Alex Dowd. He's got Chelsea on the mind. He can't even yes, function yes. right now. He's you know...
2: nevertheless, I'll, I'll answer that question here. First off. I'm not sure City could afford Messi and stay in compliance with financial fair play. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But uh, uh, if Messi were to leave Barcelona, and mind you, I still think he's going to finish his career there, but if Messi were to leave Barcelona in the next couple of years and go to a different European club, I think Inter before Manchester City. Argentinians still have a very strong identification with Serie A. It's where Maradona played. It's where Batistuta played. Uh, Inter in particular have carved out this, Uh, niche as sort of a go-to destination for Argentinian players. Uh, Javier Zanetti is a director there. He has a very, very good relationship with Messi and his family. Uh, It's the league Ronaldo is in, so he could sort of renew that rivalry. Although I think English folk overstate a little bit the differences between the Premier League and these other leagues, there is something to the fact that the Premier League is more physically taxing. And at this point of his career in his mid-30s, I think he might think that Serie A is more his speed than the Premier League. It would be tough at this point in his career to make that move to the Premier League. So uh, taking all those factors into account, if Messi were to leave Barcelona in the next couple of years and want to stay in Europe, uh, I see Inter before I see Manchester City. Wow. can't can't we just can't we
1: just if he's gonna go to Syria can't he just go to Juventus and let's just get this on and see what it looks like I mean come on him and Cristiano I mean that would be that would be nuts I I don't I don't see him leaving uh you know we've said time and time again he has grown up in this incubator and this 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 warm cocoon that is uh, for not just him but for him and his family and it's a it's a cruel, rough world outside of that, uh, outside of that Barcelona bubble. And I think, he, I think he understands that and respects that.
2: And just to put a ribbon on the La Liga campaign, which came to an end this past weekend. So uh, Real Madrid champions, Barcelona finished second. Atletico, Madrid, and Sevilla get the other Champions League berths. And then at the bottom, uh, Leganes, Mallorca, and Espanyol are the three teams relegated. So our buddy Stu Holden, uh, unfortunately, slumming it in the second division uh, next season.
1: Yeah, he'll be back up. It's it, it, all right. It, it was it was a good ride. Maybe a yo-yo type of thing going on uh, with uh, with them. All right, uh, let's move on to the, uh, the EPL. We got a top four race. Alex Dowd's Chelsea uh, in the running and uh, going to a, a final. Right, they're going to FA Cup
2: final. Is that true? Well, yeah, let's do FA Cup first, uh, because uh, the semifinals were this past weekend. Mind you, I have no recollection of saying on this podcast that Arsenal had no chance against City, but apparently an Arsenal fan on Twitter, Aaron Zidane, claims that we both said that. So if that's the case, I don't remember everything I say on this podcast, and I apologize. All credit to Arsenal, who, by the way, just beat Liverpool in the league, and now they go and beat Manchester City in the FA Cup semifinals. So there's some optimism uh, surrounding uh, Mikel Arteta. And Arsenal in recent years, they have saved their best for the FA Cup. There's something about this competition that brings out the best in them. Some of their best wins, even at the tail end of Wenger's reign, and then even uh, and then now they get this big victory under Arteta, um, have come in these scenarios, FA Cup semifinals and finals against other big English clubs. So uh, they do rise to the occasion. Uh, they beat uh, City 2-0, both goals by Abba Mayang. And then in the other semifinal, Chelsea, who didn't even need Pulisic, who was rested because of a minor injury, Uh, They took care of Manchester United 3-1 with a lot of help from David De Gea, who had an absolute shocker. But so that sets up FA Cup final Saturday, August 1st. Chelsea against Arsenal should be a good one.
1: A couple of things. Uh, So when it comes to the Chelsea, uh, or sorry, the uh, the Arsenal uh, performance, the much maligned uh, and your countryman, David Luiz, had a a stellar performance. Uh, Talk about yo-yo. You never know what you're going to get with him. But if you get the best of him, it is... It is incredible, and I loved his interview after the game. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, he, he did it in English. He, he speaks perfect English. When the uh, when the interview was talking about the criticism that his team had come in for uh, over the last couple of weeks, he immediately turned it on himself and says, "The criticism of me, and not in a bad way, uh, but in a way that I think really humanized him and showed that." you know he sees all this he knows that this is part of the deal but also the mentality to be able to put that aside and and change because there's a lot of people that just said this is a shell of of of, uh, of of the former player and yet he was able to put that aside and look i don't know if he's a a mental midget or a mental giant i have i have no idea but that performance and the ability to conjure up the best of what we think about when 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 we think about the the player, that was wonderful. And then for him to acknowledge it after the game, the, the, you know, the criticism that inevitably comes, I just thought, like I said, it, it really humanized a, a player who, like I said, has been maligned. But speaking of a shell of a player, you broke him. I mean, you finally broke him. You can't have nice things, uh, Manchester United. You just, you you had what was the greatest goalkeeper in the world, arguably but from my money was the greatest goalkeeper on the world and you broke him. Is this Mossy a, it's not a physical thing. Okay. This is all in his head. This is all because of the crazy road. There was a time when the only thing that Manchester United had going for it was David De Gea. The only thing even keeping them remotely close to a lower uh, finish in, in the EPL was David De Gea constantly saving them and saving points. There was a time years ago, when you could actually count up the points that could be attributed to Davideja. That's how important he was. And that has gone out the window. We, we know the move that was possibly on, in, uh, in the offing that didn't happen. But I, I don't know. How do you explain this, Mossy?
2: It really is completely bizarre. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, and it, it's happened in a relatively short period of time. Um, I still remember when, when Allison got to Liverpool and was playing really well, the first few months. This was, we're talking like fall and winter of 2018. Uh, Liverpool fans started comparing him to De Gea and arguing that Alisson now might be the best goalkeeper in the Premier League above De Gea. And that felt like heresy. Even our colleague, Zach Kenworthy, who's a big Liverpool fan, remember saying to me at the time, like, well, well let's not get carried away. I mean, he's got a long way to go to be able to be mentioned in the same class as De Gea. And now, a year and a half later, it would be preposterous to compare them the other way. I mean, De Gea has completely fallen off the map as far as the top goalkeepers in the world. He's now a liability, frankly, which, you know, if we want to spin it to this top four race, uh, yeah, I mean, he's suddenly a a question mark down the stretch here for United. It could be a blunder of his that cost them top four, which, uh, you know, it's, so, you know, the the situation there is uh, Chelsea right now are third on 63. Uh, Leicester and United are each on 62. Uh, Chelsea and United have played uh, one fewer game than Leicester. So, uh, on Wednesday, Chelsea take on Liverpool, United take on West Ham. Uh, the scenario here is if at the end of Wednesday, Chelsea are still above United, Chelsea have clinched top four. And then it'll just come down to uh, next Sunday, the final day of the season, United against Leicester for, for that last remaining spot. If United can get above Chelsea, on Wednesday, then, then Chelsea could still be in trouble here. If they lose their last game to Wolves and Leicester beat United, then it could be United and Leicester and Chelsea being the odd team out. So it's, it's really interesting that Wolves are out. Uh, We thought it might be four teams alive going into that final day, but uh, instead, now you've got United, Chelsea and Leicester, three teams battling for two spots with United slated to face Leicester uh next sunday the final day of the season when all the matches are at the same time and so i mean it, it's gotten really interesting here for top four united who you know i've been very high on the last few weeks they've lost just a wee bit of momentum here so you know now i don't think it's such a certainty that they're going to get the results in either if i was a betting man i'd still pick though chelsea united to finish in top four lester to be the odd team out
1: oh really brutal yes. brutal uh and what about fa cup what do you what do you got in that
2: uh, boy, Arsenal Chelsea—it's pretty close to a 50 i I—I think though, if I had to lean one way or the other, I am going to pick Arsenal to win that. fight.
1: All right, well then I'll take Chelsea. There you go. <laughs> uh, you—I uh, think you mentioned Christian Pulisic. Uh, he, look—it doesn't matter if it's a minor injury. Everyone holds their breath when it comes to Christian Pulisic. So he did not play. Uh, he was—he was rested. He was available, but uh, there was a minor injury. So hopefully it is minor. But when it comes to Christian Pulisic, even minor things uh, I, I I worry about. So hopefully he'll be uh, back on the field. And uh, other than, I think it's, uh, if I saw my good friend Paul Carr uh, correctly, Tim Howard and John Harkes, uh, Christian Pulisic, if he plays in uh, the uh, FA Cup final, will be the first or the third American uh, ever to do so, if my calculations are correct there. So congratulations to not just Christian Pulisic uh, and Chelsea, but to Alex Dowd for Reaching a, a a final, I know he's very very happy. We'll see where it all flushes out. There's plenty to watch here when it comes to that uh, to that final four. Uh, let's finish up uh, this stuff talking about Leeds. All right, Mossy. For those of our listeners and our watchers out there that maybe don't know why this is big, why this is something to celebrate, give them a little uh, a, a little clip note version of what's going on here.
2: All right. So Leeds United are a storied English club. Uh, they actually won the last uh, league title before the Premier League was formed in the 91-92 campaign. They are the club that brought Eric Cantona to England in the first place. As recently as 2001, they reached the Champions League semifinals, uh, but they, they were overspending in those years, and they ran into some major financial problems. And in 2004, they were relegated, and they have not been back in the Premier League since, but that 16-year drought is over because... They have clinched the championship title for this season and uh, automatic promotion to the Premier League. So Leeds United will be back in the Premier League next season. Uh, The architect of it all has been Marcelo Bielsa, uh, who I want to talk about in a second. But first, I mean, I saw you tweeting about this. I know Leeds United holds kind of a special place in your heart.
1: It does. Uh, And we'll talk about Bielsa and how important and fascinating he is and continues to be. But when it comes to Leeds, back when I was growing up, in the 70s and 80s. And I know nowadays we talk about branding and we talk about global branding when it comes to these uh, these clubs around the world and the importance of 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 that global footprint that you have in the emerging markets especially in the US. But back in the 70s and 80s growing up in the American soccer community, which a lot of it was niche and underground, Leeds found a way to uh, to permeate uh, through the clutter and to really resonate and the the association uh, through those through those decades with the apparel companies Umbro and Admiral were 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 really uh, they, they are vivid in my memory. So I didn't grow up watching English soccer. I knew about it, and it certainly wasn't available in the way that it's available today to watch. But I knew for whatever reason, and it comes back then. It came differently. It did come through media. It did come through magazines. It came through soccer stores that I would frequent and posters and and different stuff, they found a way. I don't know if it was by design or or not, but Leeds to me epitomized and represented English soccer. And and so it will always have a, a, a place in my heart. Uh, it's also probably a case study in how to kill that golden goose. Whether whether that golden goose was just found or was created, uh, I don't know. I'd have to ask more people if if there was a, a real method to whatever madness was going on there and how they were able to capture the fascination of a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s in suburban Detroit and how that ultimately happened and then, and then went away because everybody, everything else took over. Not only did Nike and Adidas take over, but other brands came through and your Manchester Uniteds uh, and, and the like took over the consciousness of American soccer. So uh, congratulations. And so that's, that's my connection to Leeds. I will always associate it with, uh, with soccer. So I'm glad that they are back. And that they are back being led by, you said, one of the most fascinating figures in the history of the game in bielsa uh, lends itself to probably some very, very interesting and, and maybe even some craziness that is going to uh, going to happen uh, once again give our give our folks out there a primer of who he is and why he is so uh, revered um, and, and and at times curious
2: well Marcelo bielsa nickname el loco, which means crazy in Spanish, so that tells you. All you need to know, one of the more eccentric characters in the game, a coach who rose to prominence in Rosario, Argentina, which is a city I spoke about on this podcast yep. recently. Uh, he played for and coached Newell's old boys, led them to uh, Argentinian league titles, Libertadores final, uh, and embarked on this uh, fascinating career, which involved coaching the Argentinian national team. Uh, knocked out in the f- uh, group stage of the 2002 World Cup, but two years later, won the Olympic gold medal. Uh, and he's coached a variety of clubs in europe and and never obtained the results that you would sort of lend itself to being such a Revered figure, but it's just the, the style of play, the romanticism, the, the the philosophy. He's he's inspired so many other coaches. He's there's this Bielsa coaching tree, which involves everybody from Mauricio Pochettino to Tata Martino to Jorge Sampaoli. Uh, Pep Guardiola cites him as one of his great influences. So uh, he's a guy that the the purists, the hipsters, are, are very much drawn to and love. And the interesting thing about Bielsa here is that. Um, His style of play is this very high-pressing, physically demanding style. He doesn't believe in rotating the squad that much. Uh, His his training methods are also said to be very intense. And so I wasn't sure if the championship, which is this 46-round grind, was going to be the best fit for him. The book on Bielsa is that his teams tend to wear down over the course of a season. And you figured, boy, that would be a recipe for disaster in a league like the championship. Uh, but he's done much better than I thought, even last season. Now, last season did sort of perpetuate that narrative a bit because Leeds topped the table for much of the campaign and then faded down the stretch. But still, overall, they they wound up in the, in the championship playoff, almost got uh, promoted last season. So it, it showed that his methods can work. And then he's come back this season, and they've sustained it over 46 rounds and won the league going away. So it is an immensely... Impressive achievement. I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that he was able to do this, and I can't wait for him to be in the Premier League next season, butting heads with Pep and Klopp and Wooding. I think that's going to be so much fun.
1: Well, I mean, the most Bielsa thing to do would for him for be, would be for him to just walk away <laughs> and, and not go. I did what I wanted to do, and now I'm going off to my next adventure. And that's the way that he uh, sometimes thinks about it. And I, I think you you hit it on the on the head by calling him a romantic. He is a romantic. He will die on the hill that he creates he is a true believer in in what he wants and how he thinks the game should be played and how his teams play and it will be fascinating to watch him with leads Uh, and it always is to see what teams look like when they come up and can they not only compete but spend the money and figure out a way in a very different type of situation and style to uh to deal with it um, before we before we move on here, I know that there are some that when we do these kind of primers and as I said, these cliff notes types of things that are that are rolling their eyes, don't do that. don't don't be that guy or girl, okay uh, We are trying to to educate and we are trying to bring as many people into the tent as possible. And what you will find is while you are being the snob out there that oh, I can't believe they have to explain who Bielsa is to people. While you're being it, you know what? you might learn something. When Mossy gives you that primer, you might learn something that you didn't know, or you may be refreshed or reminded about something like that. But don't be that person, okay, that comes in and is that snob when we try to bring people into the tent and educate as many people as possible. Look, I need the education just as much as as anybody else out there. So Uh, I know I went off in a little little bit of a tangent there, but I know that there are people that listen to this podcast that are well-versed and have an incredible history and understanding of a lot of the stuff that we talk about, including someone like Bielsa. But you know what? Not everybody is like you. And guess what? It doesn't make you any better. It doesn't make you any more important. It doesn't make you any cooler of a soccer person just because you may know it. So sit back and listen and be okay with it. All right, moving on. Hello people, Alexi Lalas here with a quick word about an exciting new initiative we're working on here at Fox Sports. We've been talking a lot about the impact COVID-19 is having on the MLS's back tournament. But what we're not talking about is the impact on youth sports and kids across the country so many kids are without access to structured play or even fitness options at home. That's why Fox Sports is teaming up with Good Sports on their Restore Play initiative to bring sports and play back to kids in need through donations of brand new sports equipment. Your donations make it possible for kids to stay active and engage in sports. Just go to GoodSports.org to donate. Again, that's GoodSports.org to donate and learn how you can help keep kids in the game. Now back to the show. Okay, it's that time again. Time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the social media platforms. And uh, you send us your comments, questions, and concerns. And we pick out a few each and every week as we are about to do. Mossy, what do the people want to know this week?
2: Uh, first up, at Where's Perk. Thoughts on the, we shouldn't call it El Trafico movement. I think it's
1: Where's Precky. I just think Alex Dowd, once again, messing it up here. All right, uh, thoughts. Oh, oh, El Trafico. So, as we know, uh, the on-field part of the El Trafico ended in a rout, an absolute devastating uh, result for L- LA Galaxy, but a wonderful result for LAFC 6-2. to It is El Trafico. Uh, this is something that the people came up with a few years ago when this came to be. We all know that there are rivalries around the world. When this came to be, there were those that liked it and those that didn't. To be honest, the people that liked it or at the very least accepted it were in the vast majority, but you know, squeaky, squeaky wheels and all. I have no problem with it. Not only do I have no problem with it, I happen to love it. I think it is wonderful. I think that it, as I said, comes from the people, but it also comes with a wink and a nod it, it doesn't take itself too seriously does anybody remember laughter i mean our our historic american soccer insecurity and snobbery and idealism uh, all manifest in this debate that we are having over the name el Tráfico for what is the biggest rivalry in major league soccer but i'll tell you what A lot of it stems from LAFC and well done LAFC. They had a a article that came out on the day of El Trafico talking about this, this discussion and this criticism and this debate and it, it LAFC officially planting their flag in the anti El Trafico naming of it is just, it makes it, it makes them a wonderful foil for the LA Galaxy. And it helps the rivalry by further defining the two distinct and separate identities of both of these clubs. And it is an incredibly smart brand strategy from the clubs. And the LA Galaxy played their part on the other side saying that they have no problem with it. Now, they have a wonderful messenger over at LAFC and Bob Bradley, who has been very, very public about the fact that he does not like the name El Trafico, which for some would actually mean that you use it even more, and give you if you ever needed a reason to use it that Brad, that Bob Bradley doesn't like it. I think there there is the reason in and of itself. It's it's fine. It is unique. It is easy, uh, and immediately you know what you are talking about. And I think this snooty nose in the air type of <laughs> type of discussion. Uh, an opinion when it comes to El Tráfico. Once again, I think it just highlights some of the absurdity, and I, I I hope we don't become that as an American soccer culture. You mentioned Zach Kenworthy uh, the other day. We were having a discussion uh, about what we are as American soccer fans, and if this is what we are—that we can't accept something that the people wanted and the people came up with—and yes, it 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 makes fun at times. Yes, it is tongue in cheek. Yes, it is, it's fun, it's, it's, it's laughter. If we can't do that, if we become a culture, a soccer culture that, that can't make fun of ourselves or laugh at ourselves or have fun with what is entertainment, which is sports, then we've lost the plot. And I hope that we don't lose the plot because in particular, the, United States, uh, Americans, uh, the American soccer culture has the ability to laugh at itself. All right, because we do some crazy things. Sometimes we are our worst, our, our worst enemy. But once again, this this debate is wonderful. Although it does set up a wonderful juxtaposition between these two these two clubs and the identities and the ideology, if you will, of the way that they view themselves and the, how they want to be viewed from the outside. Mossy, any thoughts on this incredible debate that rages on?
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't mind the name. I, I as an LA resident, I get a kick out of it. I think. Uh, No, you're right. Uh, It it comes from this place. And it's interesting you mentioned Bob Bradley, because, you know, Bob Bradley managed in the Premier League and was mocked there for some of his uh, verbiage and saying road games and PKs. And I would have liked Bradley's reaction to that to be to kind of, oh, the heck with those people and just, you know, be proudly American in, in, in his approach. And instead, he seems to have gone the other way. He's way too concerned about being quote unquote authentic. You know, we've talked about the, the fact that he says football and he doesn't just say football, he leans into it. I oh, mean, yeah. it's, and, and, you know, with the self thing. So I, I wish he would lighten up a little bit and not. Uh, look,
1: uh, I, I love Bob. Uh, as I've said many, many times, we disagree on different things, but I love, I love him, and I love the fact that he is part of American soccer. That he is taking this, this route, I can disagree with it, but I can not only respect it, but I can also value that having that type of voice actually for LAFC makes it that much that much better. Was he damaged by, like you said, some of the criticism? Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I mean, our insecurities and our inferiority complex are legendary. And when I say are, it's not, it's not just... Bob or anybody else. We all have them. They manifest in 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 different ways. But I think it ultimately is good, even though I can laugh
2: at it. All right, what else, Moss? At Jay fredders I am curious, dot dot dot. Could you tell me what you feel is the single biggest difference between the US national team setup between when you played and today? Is this something that is a positive or negative change in your opinion? Thanks.
1: Thank you, Jay fredders Oh my gosh, where where do I start? So the 1990s version of the U.S. – you're talking about the U.S. men's national team, I'm, sh- I'm sure. But I, I think it would apply to the women's program, too. Uh, a couple of differences. But when it comes to the men's national team program, it is night and day. It is light years ahead. It is evolved. I say this all the time. I, I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need this generation of players today to recognize or respect or even acknowledge or or understand how much better they have it. For me, that rep- rep- that represents progress, that rep- represents evolution, and I remain incredibly proud that there's a whole generation that, that doesn't have to deal with any of that crap. So when I think about travel, when I think about accommodations, when I think about compensation, when I think about medical staff and resources, when I think about infrastructure in terms of training facilities, uh, both whether it's the actual fields or all the accoutrement that comes with training with the national team, uh, the monitoring, the video. We, we've talked to Greg Berhalter a number of times and his ability to communicate and coach even when the, the national team isn't in session, isn't in session it's so much far farther advanced than we, we ever were. That is all good. And look, I can be the grumpy old guy and talk about, ah, we had... You know, throw out whatever word you want, grit, spirit, <laughs> you know, all the uh, work ethic and stuff, uh, stuff like that. But it, it is, as I said, a completely different situation. And that is, that is a good thing. That is a complete positive. So while the, while the results at times may be negative, the overall movement and advancement of the program is undeniable and is undeniably positive. Um, that it hasn't translated into us dominating a World Cup or winning a men's World Cup, that's okay. I'm, o- I'm okay with that. Um, is there a generation now that is spoiled? Mm, I mean, you know, this goes back to the fact that I don't need them to know how good they have it. Maybe maybe they benefit from being reminded every once in a while and being given some perspective. But it's okay because this is the this is their new reality. And it was built on the backs of so many generations, not, not, not mine, even before that, that, that wanted to progress and wanted to evolve and wanted to improve the situation both on and off the field. And we have. And we still have a long way to go. But that's a long answer to your question, Jay. But ultimately, yes, plenty of improvements. And they have all been positive. And you can point to a million things both on and off the field. What else, Mossy?
2: We'll end on this. Um, You familiar with a guy named Rob Stone?
1: I've heard of him. He does uh, bowling, I think, for uh, our network.
2: Correct. Uh, So this is not an Ask Alexi per se, but this is a poll question that he tweeted that Alex Dowd would like us to chime in on. At Rob Stone on Fox tweeted, who's an MLS first? Bale, James Rodriguez, Ronaldo, or Messi? The results were uh, James won out with Bale a close second, Ronaldo and Messi barely registered. So uh, what do you make of that question?
1: So it's, it's, first off, you have to read the specific question. This isn't who you want in MLS. This is who is in MLS first. And therefore, I think the, the response is, is spot on in terms of the percentage. 45.2% for James. And that's, that, that makes complete sense because this is a player who has been out of favor now for well, last couple of years and for two different teams, uh, both Bayern Munich and for Real Madrid, and I would think is available. And I would think would be something that an MLS team would certainly kick the tires on and would, would make sense. And I think it would be the easiest to get done of a deal. Um, If the question is, who would you want? I mean, then it's, then it's down to Ronaldo or Messi. And, who would I want? I think that Ronaldo, the the player, and slash the person, and it's important that slash, I think that Ronaldo benefits Major League Soccer more than Messi. Um, I think he translates to a larger-than-life type of star and therefore sells more merchandise, sells more uh, <laughs> sponsored elements, Translates more from a PR perspective than Messi does. Speaks English, so I, I think that yeah, I think I would say Ronaldo is who I would want more. But I'm sure there's others on the other side. When it comes to Bale, that he's not playing, that he golf's, all of those different things that we've talked about on previous pods, I understand why that certainly can happen. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if that if that happened. But I think. The people got it right in terms of their voting specific to Rob Stone's question. What about you, Mossy?
2: Well, Bale tell us is who, tell guy, us who you
1: think would, who do you think most, most likely, and then who you would want.
2: Well, bail is the guy who's at the point of his career where it would make the most sense. Uh, but his agent is saying that he is going to see out his contract at Real Madrid purely out of spite, even if it means sitting on the bench. He just wants to collect that big check and annoy them by by still being there, which is... Never
1: has spite felt so good on on one's uh, ATM.
2: Listen, thinking that the Madrid median fans have been unfair to Bale is the correct macro view of that situation, if you look at his full seven years there. But the British media views everything through that lens. And I would argue that Gareth Bale's behavior uh, this past uh, season has been uh, worthy of condemnation. I, I think the way he is carrying himself now is just completely embarrassing. And and I mean, he, he needs to get out of there. I mean, I, that situation to me is, is, is farcical at this point. James, he just turned 29. And, you know, it's amazing to think last summer he was all set to go to Atlético Madrid and uh, the transfer got derailed because Atletico and Real Madrid played a preseason match in which Atletico won 7-3 and Real Madrid decided it would be such bad optics on the heels of a 7-3 loss to Atletico for Real Madrid to be selling players to Atletico. And so they pulled the plug on the deal and he ended up stuck on the bench this whole season. And when I talk about super clubs hoarding players and the damage that has in the game and how much that contributes to uh, the inequalities in the game, Hamez is the example that comes to mind Uh, I mean, as just a neutral follower of the game, La Liga, I mean, wouldn't you rather than having Hamas sit on the bench for Real Madrid all season, have him playing for like an Atletico or Sevilla or Valencia or a club of that level and starring for them week in and week out. Wouldn't La Liga objectively be more fun if that was the case? I mean, it drives me crazy that super clubs have guys like Hamas Rodriguez sitting at the end of their bench when they could be playing for these other clubs, but that's a topic for another day. Uh, But I don't see him coming to MLS yet. He seems very motivated to go to another big European club and really uh, prove Zidane wrong and prove that he he can still play. Uh, And in terms of who I would want it, obviously boils down to the other two guys and and i would take can't go wrong with either i I would take Messi over ronaldo just i I like his game better i I will i do want to make a larger point about all this though uh we're we're two weeks into this mls's back tournament it's been a massive success very engrossing great soccer exciting teams exciting players exciting games with no contributions mind you from any big global star so, you know, I understand Rob's question and I understand there is a business component to all this. And if Messi or Ronaldo wanted to come to MLS tomorrow, MLS would welcome them with open arms, of course. But I think we need to start, stop obsessing over these guys coming over and acting like MLS is going to live and die on that. I mean, the fundamentals are very strong in this league. They're really cultivating this identity as like a go-to destination, like I said, for young Latin American players. They're starting to strike a nice balance between being a selling league and a buying league and the quality is going up each season. And so I'm not as like obsessed anymore with getting these guys over here. I mean, if, if the opportunity presents itself and they're, they, you know, and it makes sense. Great. But it's not something, you know, I just think we need to worry less about the Balotelli's and build up more of the Akinola's and a season.
1: Wow. Well, you're an MLS show. We all know that. So <laughs> So what have I learned today? Uh, Mossy is an a, a cr- incredible uh, MLS shill, but also an incredible supporter of Major League Soccer. I mean, there should have been a Major League Soccer flag flying behind you uh, w- when you were you were giving that incredible soliloquy there. Uh, two, Mossy has condemned Mr. Bale uh, to because of his behavior, especially over the last uh, year, uh, and and or uh, you know also ridiculed the. Uh, The reaction of the English press, and third, Mossy, when you when you mention someone like Bale, someone like sitting on the bench, isn't that an argument for the continuation beyond the next year of the five substitutes? So (laughs) when these big clubs do amass and stockpile talent, if Zinedine Zidane had turned and had more substitute opportunities, he could have said you know what, Hamas, I'm going to give you a run out there. And all of us would have had our Hamas fix in that time. I say that because uh, I think uh, since we last spoke, they have continued on with the five-substitute rule. They, uh, IFAB has decided that that is something that is going to remain for the next year. We know some of this stuff is going to stick, and I, I would see that continuing to stick going forward. Anything you have to say about that before uh, we finish up the pod, Masi?
2: Yeah, you win. Uh, you, you were in favor of this. Sid Lowe was against it. And uh, I fab of the set. You won the enhanced audio debate, and you've won this five-sub debate. So you are on a roll, my friend.
1: I really come into my own during a pandemic. Uh, now, that's, that's uh, what let me I ask really a question, shy.
2: and we can end on this. What do Gareth Bale, James Rodriguez, Messi, and Ronaldo all have in common this year? This year? Yes. Oh. <sighs> Three of
1: the four are left-footed, which would not just be this year, but um,
2: I don't know. What? Uh, None of them are going to win the Ballon (gasps) d'Or. Oh, good (laughs) segue, (laughs) uh, my friend. uh, Breaking news today. France football have announced that for the first time in 64 years, they will not be handing out a Ballon d'Or award, which is a terrible blow for somebody like Lewandowski, who it seemed like the stars were aligning for him to finally win it. Uh, Messi won it uh, last year. You might recall beating out uh, Virgil Van Dyke. Listen, I-, I find this to be a ridiculous decision. A- and and keep in mind, I said France Football is the publication that that put that hands out this award. And and France, as we all know, uh, Ligue 1 pulled the plug on their season while all the other top European leagues have managed to play on. And so they've been kind of embarrassed by that. They've been ridiculed by it. And I think on some level, this is motivated by sending a message to the rest of Europe. You know what? You could play your games all you want, but we're still sticking to the fact that uh that this this year doesn't count and n- none of this that's happened in the last few months really matters and you know there was a quote from a guy saying well you can't really judge it on two months meaning january and february were the only uh months where there was real quote-unquote soccer played this year and, and the rest of the stuff doesn't really count and i just find that ridiculous i mean I, I don't know i mean i feel like yes it's a different reality we're in but we've all kind of adjusted to it we're watching these games we're analyzing them like we normally would players are are playing well, playing poorly, stars are shining, trophies are being handed out. So I don't know why this year is so different that you would not hand out a, a Ballon d'Or award. I, I thought it was a ridiculous decision.
1: I agree with you 100%, Monsi. I think that this is ridiculous. And I think it's a shame. Um, you know, we, we've said from the start of this pandemic that this is not about being fair. None of this is going to be fair. At some point, somebody is going to be aggrieved, and some point, somebody is going to be in an unfair type of situation or a lesser uh, type of situation. This is about making the best of a crap situation. And the reality is that... It, 2020 is going to forever have an asterisk associated with it, whether it comes to sports or anything else. That's just, that's just what's going to happen. But that doesn't mean that performances don't deserve recognition and aren't worthy of these traditional awards that we have, like Ballon d'Or. And I, I do think that adjusting to the challenges that life throws at us on and off the field it's valuable and it should be valued and it's something to be celebrated. And it's a shame, like you said, that Ballon d'Or is, is going to be canceled because I think that Robert Lewandowski in this particular moment, and you know, notwithstanding what Luka Modric did a few years ago, but I think Lewandowski had a wonderful chance of breaking up this Messi, Ronaldo, La Liga stranglehold that has been on this award for so many years. Mossy, anything before uh, before I head out into my uh, one for the road?
2: No, that is it. All right. Uh,
1: well, we come to the end of yet another uh, show. I've been telling some, some different stories uh, from the past, uh, some involving different celebrities and, and moments in my life. And I was thinking back to the age of the shoe contract mossy uh, we live in very different times not just now but very different business times there was a time back in the in the 90s which was the heyday of the the shoe contract and that was that was as important as your regular contract and it was back when the shoe companies in particular nike and adidas adidas were having the wars but everyone was was involved and reebok was there and uh, you know everybody else uh, and uh, different apparel companies were vying for the opportunity not just to have athletes wear their shoes, but to pay them to wear their shoes. And I was fortunate to be coming up in a time where it, it also uh, translated to the soccer world. And I signed with Adidas before the '94 World Cup, and it was, as I said, it was as important and from a financial perspective, even more important than the contracts that I was signing to actually play. Now that has changed because the business has changed, the, you know, the way that people look at those types of shoe endorsements and money is spent uh, has completely, completely changed. But I think back to a a time when uh, I was with Adidas and we did so much stuff when it came to Posters and advertisements, and I remember flying on the Concorde to uh, to France before the 1998 World Cup to shoot a uh, a shoe commercial and an Adidas commercial in front of the Eiffel Tower, and then last last summer, going back to that exact same uh, same place, and going to Germany to be uh, at Adidas and having them. Create a shoe that had a built in orthotic for me and a special type of shoe and the personalized shoe and ones that had an American flag on it, ones that had my name and my number on it, and all the different things that uh, that happened as I said it was it, it was heady times and was a very very different times now there's still shoe endorsements out there, but they're much more few and far between a lot of it is much more about product as it is as opposed to actually. Paying players to do it. And yes, you have your upper echelon type of elite players, but there was money being thrown around at all levels of the game to all different types uh, of players because they were so desperate to have you in their, in their brand. And it just shows, goes to show how the industry will change, how life will change, how norms will change. And certainly we are seeing that, uh, you know, what is changing right now as we go through these unprecedented times. Some of it will stick, some of it will, won't, but the way that we thought about soccer six months ago uh, may be very, very different in the way that we think about soccer, whether it's the actual on the field when we talk about substitutions, or water breaks, uh, or anything else that goes on the field, or off the field when it, when it, when it comes to how we think about the production of the game. Uh, it changes, and sometimes it changes gradually, And sometimes as we're seeing, it changes very, very quickly. And who knows what it will return to or if it will return to anything. But all of that is to say that I hope everybody continues to muddle as best as you possibly can through these interesting times that we are living in. I hope everybody's staying safe. Everybody is staying sane. Thank you so much for taking time out of your life. Uh, to listen and or watch uh, the State of the Union podcast. It's a pleasure, Mossy, each and every week to do this with you. Thank you to everybody that uh, helps to put this together. Please subscribe, please rate, please review, please download, do all of the different things uh, that you have done and continue to do, and tell your friends about it. It's a pleasure for us to do it, and we hope that you uh, enjoy it uh, when you're out there listening on your bike ride, on your walks, uh, on your... uh, Uh, your runs in your car, whatever it ends up being. And I hope, as I said, you're doing it safe. Hope you're doing it with a mask. And uh, we will, we will get through this. Uh, We will get through this together. And uh, here's to much better days ahead. Thank you, Mossy. Thanks everybody. We will see you again next week on the state of the union pod. And as always size the day.